Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Thanks to you guys for joining us here on the College Football Survivor Show. Might have noticed the name change there. Politely asked by the powers that be, uh, maybe, maybe take that P word out. So now we're the College Football Survivor Show, but it's the same people, it's the same idea that you've come to know and love or that you've stumbled across by accident. However you got here, welcome. We love talking about the playoff. We love talking about survival. So I think we can say the word playoff. We just can't have it in the name. So Shahan here with me. I'm Doug. We just got off the conference call with playoff committee selection chairman, Gary Barda. And for the first time, Shahan and I both got called on. Shahan asking a very thoughtful, important question and me asking a paranoid question. So I want to deal with my paranoia first right off the start because, again, this is my therapy session. We're going to get into which team should be kicked out of our playoff discussion. We're going to have our shadow committee rankings, how they compare to the real rankings. And then we're going to really lean in this week on what are the games that matter in the three weeks left in the season. Two weeks in the regular season and conference championship weekend. Where could we see some games that shake up? the teams that we think are going to get in, just like Baylor kind of knocked Oklahoma out of the thing. We did a lot on Baylor in Texas on our Apple podcast show that dropped on Tuesday. If you want to subscribe to that, it's $2.99 a month on Apple Podcasts. You use your thumb or whatever. You subscribe. 75 cents an episode, you get all those Tuesday episodes. Shahan, my question, and now I already have my question teed up for next week that I can't wait to ask Gary Barta. And I do want to talk about how to get him to talk about stuff. Because there's certain things you can ask a question to him and you have no chance of getting a relevant answer. But there are some things you can ask that do get a relevant answer. And I do think both of us got relevant answers this week. I was the last person who got called on. My question was, Gary, friend of mine, in a world where you as the chairman have discussed for the last couple of weeks how Michigan, despite losing to Michigan State head-to-head, is ranked ahead of Michigan State. The Oregon-Ohio State discussion has been ongoing. Oregon beat Ohio State head-to-head, but yet you dis- you say that the committee has discussed the idea, right, of Ohio State being higher. Have you discussed at all, has the committee discussed the idea of Notre Dame being ranked ahead of Cincinnati? Cincinnati is undefeated number five. Notre Dame is one loss, number eight. And I've already seen some stuff on Twitter about like, well, that's not relevant at all. To me, if you have teams with equal records who are both power five teams and you're willing to say the team that lost is ranked ahead, I think you could be willing to do it with an undefeated group of five team, right? That it's like, well, Cincinnati doesn't have a loss, so it's not the same thing. Listen, man, they're a group of five. They don't, the committee doesn't view them the same way. That's why that door is cracked. That's why I asked it. I couldn't wait to ask it. Was it a dumb question, Shahan? And please take my feelings into consideration. <laughs> no, it was not a dumb question. I think that that's uh, started to to grab a little bit of steam the past couple of weeks. Is Notre Dame potentially getting back up into that playoff conversation? Because they are, I mean, what, at this point, they've moved up to number nine, right? Or number eight. I mean, eight is very much still within striking distance for the college football playoff. And if you look around the rest of Notre Dame's schedule, like, it is better than Cincinnati's at this point, right? I mean, they played Wisconsin. Uh, they played, you know, lesser versions of North Carolina, lesser versions of USC, but, like, versions of those teams. And so 
I mean, if, if that game doesn't happen, right, if it's if it's 11-0 for both teams and they just don't have the game against each other, I think Notre Dame certainly would be viewed as the better team, regardless of what Cincinnati did. Um, and we kept hearing over and over again that the strength of schedule was a concern for the committee when it comes to Cincinnati. And I get it. I, I do get it. But it is good to hear that when a team like Cincinnati, right, when they go on the road and beat a team by 11 points in a game that really wasn't close at all, that was very dominant, that at least at this point that conversation isn't happening. Because I do want to just take a step back. You know, we, we're talking so much about this Michigan versus Michigan State uh, head-to-head matchup, right, versus the Ohio State versus Oregon one versus the Notre Dame versus Cincinnati one. Um, I, I do think, like, if they would just kind of come out and say, oh, well, we didn't feel Michigan State's win was, like, super-duper convincing. Yeah. I feel like that would answer some of the questions, right? Because like, these these things that they're talking about are stupid. I mean, he basically said, uh, I, I think it was on the TV broadcast, well, you know, you can't just watch the game, look at the numbers. Like, he basically said that. And it's like, but your whole deal is that you say how much you watch the games. You watch every snap. You watch thousands of snaps uh, every single year. But by the way, when people play snaps, maybe it doesn't actually matter because Michigan looked really good against some, you know, mediocre team, and they were so efficient when they did it. Like, again, if you, if you just say... Michigan State's resume is kind of built up by having a very, very close win that could have gone either way at home against Michigan. That's a much better argument than the argument that we're having. Because that differentiates it, right? Oregon's win at Ohio State was convincing and it was on the road and Oregon didn't have its best player. Cincinnati's win over Notre Dame was more convincing than Michigan State's comeback win against Michigan. So, that would be a way to differentiate this because this is what you got to do, people. You cannot ask too many questions about why. Because, like, why did you rank a team this way? Because in the end, his answer usually is, the why is because we did. Honestly, for real. His answer always comes around to because we did. But the how. I do think he could be lying about the discussion, right? There's no secret camera, unless someone knows about that. If you have a secret (laughs) camera in the committee room, please let us know. I don't think you can do a freedom of information request for the minutes from the discussion. Only they know what they really talk about. But I'm going to assume he's telling the truth. So the how do you discuss it matters. And that's what you and I both got at this week. When he said yes, and I think I asked that question a couple weeks ago, the idea that they had talked in the week immediately after Michigan State had beat Michigan, before Michigan State had lost, there was some discussion about whether Michigan should be ahead of Michigan State right away before Michigan State lost. So we're trying to read the how. So have you discussed it? That's not an outcome for him to say no. We haven't was a sigh of relief to me because if he said, because honestly, this whole Michigan's a more complete team thing. Doesn't that sound like a thing, Shahan, (laughs) they could say about Notre Dame and Cincinnati? And listen, the Big Ten's going to work itself out. So you can't get too fired up about things that are going to work it out on the field. We weren't that fired up about the fact of Michigan State and Michigan. We were fired up about what it tells us about how they think. And that can be applied to Oregon, Ohio State which is not going to be settled any more than it has been. And it could be applied to Cincinnati, Notre Dame. So I thought in that regard, the fact, no, we haven't discussed it, right? I had a little relief to that. Is that a little relieving to anybody, 
even if you think, why are you asking? I think some people think, why would you ask that? Of course the answer is no. Are you sure? Of course the answer is no. I'm not. <laughs> of course is a very strong phrase, right? I mean, to uh, like you mentioned, a couple of weeks ago, right after the game happens, we're having this conversation about Michigan versus Michigan State. Like after we saw it happen on the field right in front of our faces. And so, uh, you know, and this actually kind of takes us to the question that I asked, which is a question that I was hoping to ask like three weeks ago, to be quite honest. Um, and that is, you know, with Alabama, especially at the beginning, they were very uh, kind of clear that they felt like Alabama was a surefire, clear number two, that it was Georgia one and Bama two, and then a gap and then Oregon and Michigan state and Ohio state and all those teams. Right. Well, now I, I, the real question that I was kind of trying to ask without asking it, because uh, you know, you do have to learn how to kind of ask these questions of Gary Barta that he's kind of allowed to answer per se, because he's not allowed to actually say anything like again, give analysis or give insight or anything. Um, You know, so the question that I asked was, has there been discussion about Alabama versus number three, four or five? And what I'm really asking is, has there been discussion about Alabama versus Cincinnati and is there a giant gap there in your guys mind right and what he said was that there was a lot of discussion this week between number two Alabama number three Oregon and number four Ohio State which to me does say that they feel like there's a pretty sizable gap between four and five and uh you know there's a lot that still needs to happen I mean Alabama is a not, to me, not an amazing team, right? So they still could lose to Auburn. They still could get blasted in the SEC championship game, in which case it becomes much less of an argument. But I do think that based on kind of how he phrased it at this moment, the door is still a little bit open, at least, for Alabama with two losses to get in over Cincinnati. See, that's interesting because I think I might have read it the opposite, but I might be wrong because to me, the idea that if previously he had said, as you as you said, Alabama's a clear number two. That he cracked the door on two, three, four was a discussion this week. Alabama fell back to the pack. I thought was a sign of, well, at least there's no longer a gap between Bama and everybody else, even if he didn't lump Cincinnati in with that group, right? Because again, we're trying to find information about could somehow Notre Dame pass Cincinnati and could somehow two loss Alabama get in ahead of Cincinnati. Those are two relevant things. Cause I think we've punted on Oklahoma, right? I, we didn't ask, we didn't try to find information about what a one loss big 12 champ get in ahead of Cincinnati. But when Oklahoma state is only ninth and I know in our shadow committee rank, rankings, you had Oklahoma state fifth. I certainly think with one loss and the way their defense is playing and how much better they've gotten over the course of the year, I think you could make a case, right? I have ahead of any of the Big Ten teams, ahead of Oregon, but they're not there. That, to me, was not a great sign for the Big 12, but a good sign for Cincinnati. So who stands to mess up Cincinnati's playoff thing is Notre Dame and Alabama. I did think that was maybe – because he could have said, nope, Alabama clear number two, right? He could have said that. For sure. For sure. No, and I think you are right. I think you are right that maybe uh, it's kind of opening the door. And I mean, not to not to get into Oklahoma State, I do feel like Oklahoma State, uh, you know, maybe it's just because they're kind of the the new Big 12 champion of the week with uh, with Oklahoma losing. But like that win over Baylor just became a whole lot more impressive. You know, the, the win against Iowa State looks a little worse, but it was really close. Like, I, I do feel like when you look at their resume right now, when you look at the general quality of teams that they played, Kansas State is a pretty good team. Uh, 
I, I do kind of feel like Oklahoma State probably deserves a little more credit than I feel like they're getting in this discussion. No, I, I think that's probably right. And maybe they'll get it. Maybe they'll get it by playing Oklahoma. But again, it's like, well, the committee hates Oklahoma. But there was even a good <laughs> question about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Again, we found some information. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma both with one loss. Why is Oklahoma State four spots ahead of Oklahoma? Oklahoma State's nine, Oklahoma's 13. And he basically said, well, like Oklahoma State beat Baylor and Baylor beat Oklahoma. So like we think that's a good win for Oklahoma State because they beat the team that beat Oklahoma. And it's like, well, that's reasonable. Like I'll buy that. That's different than if Oklahoma State hadn't played Baylor yet. Like they beat the team that clearly showed it was a better team than Oklahoma. The interesting thing is that it feels like historically the committee has tended to reward teams that have good wins, right? Like that seems to usually be the metric that you look at. And I think that they do that in the case of Oregon, right? Oregon has the best win in the country this year, arguably going on the road and beating number four, Ohio state. But like, this is where it gets kind of weird, right? Is that okay? But then at the same time, then, you know, Alabama before, you know, all this kind of moved up to wherever it did, right? Like Alabama got credit, even though they didn't have these wins. Uh, but you know, it was number three, uh, number three, Oregon has the win over, uh, over Ohio state. You know, again, Oklahoma state has this win over Baylor and Oklahoma didn't, right? Oklahoma does not have a good win all season long. That's, that's the difference between Oklahoma and Oklahoma state is that Oklahoma state has beaten anybody of note. Uh, but but, I mean, then again, it's like you start then getting into this world where it's like, well, but if if it's wins that matter, then why is Ohio State even right? Ohio State's four; they haven't beaten anybody of the special, you know, that's especially noteworthy, uh, you know, and that's usually what you see rewarded. But it's it's kind of Alabama and Ohio State. Now it's it is because obviously the efficiency metrics love them, and, and for good reason. I mean, they are super duper efficient teams. When they beat bad teams, they beat them dominantly and that's going to be the thing especially when they're compared against Cincinnati that's going to come up over and over again is that Alabama looks like the greatest team in the world when they're playing teams that are average whereas Cincinnati's kind of like let's just go win the football game but uh I don't know it's it's these moving uh it's these moving comparisons that uh, that obviously end up frustrating all of us but we did in the end we did not get the malarkey Alabama explanation this week that we have gotten every other week because again there's one malarkey part that we got to talk about very quickly. But <laughs> Alabama, really, when you look at Alabama's schedule, here's the ranked teams other than Georgia waiting in the SEC title game. By the committee's own rankings, they've beaten number 12, Ole Miss. They lost to number 16, Texas A&M. They have number 21, Arkansas, this week on Saturday. They haven't played them yet. And they've beaten number 25, Mississippi State. So right now, Right now, Alabama has a win over 12 and a win over 25 and a loss to 16. And how is that better than a win over number eight Notre Dame, which is what Cincinnati has? Like, I don't know how that's better. But they didn't try to – they admitted, well, it's pretty close now because they know that Alabama's resume is garbage. Yeah. It's not complete garbage, but it's a bologna sandwich. It's not a steak. And it's – now – and and so why why are we pretending? They were fooling themselves and pretending, but again – why does it matter? It's going to work itself out. It matters if they are so convinced right. going into the SEC title game that there is no doubt in their minds that the two best teams in the country are Alabama and Georgia. They can talk themselves into putting them both in the playoff regardless of the outcome. And I think your question tonight, Shahan, helped dig in on the idea of that idea has lessened. 
They are less there than they were before. And that is the true danger for Cincinnati. It's a little less about how they view Bama and Cincinnati now. It's about what what they potentially see in a two-loss Bama. And I think they see they've come back to reality a little bit on that, the way they talked about it tonight. Yeah, no, I, I agree about that. And so, you know, like you said, there's going to be games that I think that are going to work out most of these. Uh, and the reason that we keep talking about Cincinnati and Alabama specifically is because we don't know how those are going to get worked out. Those are ones that are going to kind of be at the discretion of the committee. But uh, the other thing, too, I mean, Oregon has a, a top 25 game this week. They're going to have a top 25 game in the in the Pac-12 championship game. There's still a lot of moving pieces, but uh yeah, I mean, it's this is the point where you kind of have to figure out, okay, based on this scenario, who could go where? We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to kick somebody out of the discussion because we got to get that over with. And then I want to talk about why I think Cincinnati has survived and why actually tonight, Tuesday night, was a very good night for Cincinnati and why. We'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. In case you missed the last College Football Survivor Show. Two things happened that I thought were not good for Lincoln Riley on Saturday. A, it looks like he has two super talented quarterbacks and neither are ready for this game. And B, the whole thing at the end with the early field storm and he's complaining about not getting a penalty and then Baylor kicks a field goal. He looks whiny. That's not a good combo, man. Lincoln. Come on, man. Not a good combo. To make this big thing about it, about, well, when my players weren't safe, people were, were storming the field and we had to come back out because we had to defend a field goal. It's just not right. There's a code of sportsmanship says the man who beat Western Carolina 76 to zero. Like, come on. This is how you're going to leave the Big 12 and enter the SEC. It's embarrassing. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. Doug Maurice and Sharon Jeharaja. Make sure you're reading Shahan at CBS Sports, where he's dialing up good stories daily. Works constant. 14-hour days, nine days a week. That's what Shahan does. He's young and can handle it. The Tuesday show is something we dig in on different topics. This week, it was sort of failures of the college football playoff era. And Oklahoma, in its own way, is a failure without ever winning a playoff game so far and seeming to blow it this year in a wide-open race. And Texas has been an abject failure. And the loss to Kansas showed that. Shahan, some great insights on that. We had a really interesting discussion about teams like that, about Miami, about um, USC, about Florida, about some of these teams that right before the playoff era started were great and what's happened to them. And then we were talking about how so many of those teams, so many, we, we did a thing about the top 25 in the preseason, all the teams that have at least four losses and all the coaches that have been fired. And then like, Justin Fuente got fired from Virginia Tech after that show. So th- that continues. That's what you're getting on the Tuesday show. It's a different look. I don't know. You'll, you're not going to find that discussion this week anywhere else. It's $2.99 if you want to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. All right. Let's kick somebody out real quick before we get to my Cincinnati point. Shahan, we're not welcoming anybody in. Because for now, the committee does have some two-loss teams ranked ahead of Oklahoma. But, like, a two-loss team's not getting in. Like, you can do that now, and I think maybe Old Miss, like, has a better chance of getting into a New Year's Six Bowl. But we're, this is not the New Year's Six show. It's surviving for the playoff show. So I just don't think there's any reason to have a two-loss team in our playoff discussion at this point, unless stuff, stuff goes so haywire where five one-loss teams get upset next weekend. But we're not going to have a two-loss team in. So we have 11 teams in our discussion right now. We're not adding anybody. There's nobody worth adding. 
because Wake Forest only has one loss, but we kicked Wake Forest out last week. I don't want to talk about Wake Forest. Sorry. So the two choices this week, Shahan, that I gave the texters, 817-442-6789, if we'll be part of it. Eight and two Old Miss that beat Texas A&M this week. It's actually a good win. And nine and one Oklahoma that lost to Baylor. Old Miss right now is the only two loss team in our mix. That's why I put them in there, even though they're coming off like their best win of the year. Who would you kick out? We got to kick out somebody. That's our rule. You got to get kick out somebody. Who's it? Who yeah. Is- yeah. Yeah. For me, uh, for me, it's Ole Miss. And the reason is simple. It's because they don't have a path to the conference championship game and uh, Oklahoma, if they win out, they will still beat Oklahoma State, who's a top 10 team, and they'll get either Oklahoma State or a rematch versus Baylor uh, in the conference championship game. So for that reason, I think that Oklahoma has a path, even if I think it's unlikely, and I think that Ole Miss has no path. It pains me to agree, but of course I have to agree. You made the case. The texters agree. 74% are kicking out Ole Miss instead of Oklahoma. I mean, that was a terrible loss for Oklahoma. It would be crazy to kick them out right now. They might be the one-loss Big 12 champ. And then, like, that's something. I don't know if you're in. I would say you're not, unless some other stuff happens. But that's something. So Old Miss is out. We're down to 10. We're down to basically every one-loss team with a shot, except Wake Forest. No offense to Wake Forest. But, again, we don't feel bad about that. So Old Miss is out, and we're not adding anybody. Let's talk about, again, we'll get to our Cincinnati thing. Now we'll do the Cincinnati thing now. Here's my point, Shahan. Cincinnati's last three games are likely to be against the three other best teams in the American. At the top of the standings, the four teams at the top of the standings are Houston, Cincinnati, SMU, and East Carolina. They haven't played them yet. They get eight and two SMU this week, then six and four East Carolina, and then almost certainly, I think Houston actually has already clinched a bid in the American title game. Houston's undefeated in the American, just like Cincinnati is. They don't play in the regular season. Houston got into the rankings this week at number 24. So that Cincinnati has survived the worst of its bad schedule. And now, if they still think Cincinnati's five after that, to beat eight and two SMU, six and four East Carolina, and currently number 24 ranked Houston, and if Houston keeps winning, Houston's going to be in the top 20 by the time you get to the American title game. Cincinnati's strength of schedule is going to start coming back up. So I think this is the worst. Even though I'm on alert for Notre Dame, I think this is as bad as it could get for Cincinnati. And they're fifth. And as long as Alabama loses to Georgia and they take care of their business, I think they're in because I think it only goes up from here. Is that right? I think that's a great point. And, you know, something that I will mention is that when you talk about Oregon, whenever the committee talks about Oregon, they always bring up Fresno State, who is a team who at one point was ranked and is no longer ranked, but they still view it as a quality win because it was a quality win, right? And so uh, that's the, that's the thing that I'll say about Houston, right? Is that if Cincinnati goes and blasts Houston and they fall out of the rankings, it does seem like they're still going to take them seriously and take that win seriously and, and kind of give them credit for a second really quality win. And uh, I, I did have to do a double take when you said East Carolina is uh, top four in the standings. Wow, that is what a year it's been. But uh, but no, they have SMU this week and SMU is a really good team. And I think they're really going to test their pass defense too. You know, I mean, SMU uh, has one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Tanner Mordecai and uh, and Cincinnati has the two best cornerbacks in the entire country, the, the best duo in the country with Kobe Bryant and with Ahmad Gardner. So 
I think we're going to learn a lot from that game because SMU is also not going to let them kind of sit on the game. They're going to have to go out and win the game in a lot of ways. And so playing SMU, playing East Carolina, and playing ranked Houston at the end of the year, I mean, I definitely think that that puts them in a really good position because, you know, we said we said earlier in the year that whenever the playoff rankings came out, Cincinnati's case would mostly be made already. But I think you're right. The way that things are kind of working out, maybe they have a little bit more case to make. And if you want to do some comparisons, I went to the SP Plus rankings. And listen, you can find whatever you want to use. FEI, Efficiency This, you know, the Doug and Shahan Survivor Ratings. We'll come up with those next. Actually, if you could do that as a side project, <laughs> if you could start working on that so we could have our own metrics next year, that'd be great. And we'll try to kick you a couple extra bucks if you can just do some math. So here's the thing, though. SP Plus, right, from ESPN, Bill Conley. So if you take Old Miss as Alabama's best win and you take Notre Dame as Cincinnati's best win, right? Alabama's next two best wins, if they don't beat Georgia, and if they beat Georgia, they're in, you know, would be Arkansas if they beat them this week. Arkansas is number 34 in SP+, and Mississippi State is number 31, okay? Mississippi State's number 25 in the rankings. The idea that Mississippi State is 6-4 and four and still ranked, <laughs> what? Is, why isn't UTSA ranked ahead of Mississippi State? And also, wouldn't UTSA actually beat Mississippi State? Why are they ranked at six and four? They they are ahead of Mississippi State. They're number twenty-two. Oh, they are. Oh, I feel better. Then. I'm sorry. So at least they got that right. But man, I, it's one of those things, right? Where like we talk about it, and we've talked about it in previous weeks, where, like, the world kind of revolves around Bama, and it's like, well, Bama beat you, so you, it must not be that bad a loss. Oh, you beat this other team that Bama played, too, so maybe it's not that bad a win, like, you know, where we just kind of uh, live in that orbit right now. And so this past week, Mississippi State goes and scores 40 unanswered points against Auburn, who gave up a 28-3 lead, which is hilarious. Uh Maybe Auburn's not very good, but, you know. We don't have to have that conversation right this second. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me. I did not realize that they didn't have a single uh, or a second top 30 win. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty significant. And so again, by the committee rankings, they do because they count Mississippi State. So here's my point. Mississippi State and Arkansas in the SP Plus rankings, 31 and 34. SMU and Houston in the SP Plus ratings, two teams that Cincinnati, if they're going to do it, are going to have to beat. 33 and 38. <laughs> so Notre Dame is a better win than Old Miss. Bama has a loss. And then Bama's next best wins would basically be equivalent to beating Houston and SMU. So that's where Cincinnati is. Bama's schedule is not good. And by the way, you said Auburn's not good. Auburn's quarterback, Bo Nix, who is enough of like an up and down, boom and bust roller coaster quarterback that would have had a chance to make the Bama game interesting out for the year. So they get Arkansas this week, and then they're going to play a rivalry game against a backup quarterback. And so, like, you know, this is going to be one of these things again that that I just think we're setting up a world. I hope the committee, right? The committee can't be blind to that. And again, it's not if Bama beats Georgia, then it doesn't matter. They're in. But man, I just think we are extinguishing. It was a definite discussion when the first rankings came out. I think we're really extinguishing the idea of two lost Bama over undefeated Cincinnati. The numbers, there's just the numbers and the quality wins for Bama would not back it up. And I do want to, I do want to talk about a phrase that obviously gets talked about a lot, and that's strength of schedule. 
And that does matter, right? If you play a tougher schedule, you should get rewarded for it. The issue to me when you compare like this year, Cincinnati and Alabama is that when you're talking about strength of schedule, you're really pointing to games like seven through 12 in terms of difficulty on the schedule. Like what are you actually learning from that? What, what are you actually learning from having played Tulsa instead of having played whoever else, right? Like, what what are you actually learning from that? You're not really learning anything of no, you know, Tulsa versus Tennessee, right? Both of these teams would would lose to Cincinnati. Like, they would, right? And, like, the other thing, too, is that when we talk about these efficiency metrics, right, Bama's awesome efficiency metrics come against the teams that aren't that good, right? Like, I mean, when we see them play against the top teams, they haven't played like that. We saw them lose against the one good defense that they've played this year against Texas A&M. Now, Bama's, again, going to play Georgia, and we're going to get to see what they do against that. And if they look terrible, then this isn't a discussion whatsoever. But I, I, I understand why we talk so much about strength of schedule. But like you mentioned, I mean, playing a, a top 10 team in Notre Dame and then playing a two top 40 teams down the stretch uh, in SMU and Houston – it's enough. They, they'll have played yes. quality competition. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I think it's enough. So I do think Cincinnati people should be breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief tonight. Take care of your business, and I think you're in good shape. Let's do quickly our rankings. As the shadow committee, Shahan gets a vote. I get a vote. The texters get a vote. Compared to the real rankings, we're basically the same except for one thing, which is our view of Bama and our view of Cincinnati. And then we actually, as a group, we flip-flop some of the head-to-head stuff. Georgia, number one in both. The real committee has Bama two. We have Bama five. And the real committee has has Cincinnati five. We have Cincinnati two. So flip-flop Bama and Cincinnati. That's what our shadow committee would do. We also have Oregon and Ohio State flipped. The committee goes by head-to-head. Oregon three, Ohio State four. Our shadow committee has Ohio State three, Oregon four. So the shadow committee ignores head-to-head there. But then at six and seven, the real committee ignores head-to-head, has Michigan six, Michigan State seven. Our shadow committee notices head-to-head, Michigan State six, Michigan seven. So again, our shadow committee's thinking is no more uh, concrete than the thinking of the real committee. We just have it flipped backwards. And then we also were different on Notre Dame and Oklahoma State. Fueled by you, Oklahoma State eight for the shadow committee, Notre Dame nine. For the real committee, it's Notre Dame eight, uh, Notre Dame eight, Oklahoma State nine, and then Oklahoma at the bottom, right? So we still have Oklahoma in our discussion. So we have Oklahoma tenth or thirteenth for the real committee. This is something that I think the shadow committee is important, but in the end, as we get down to it, it is just a different view on Bama and Cincinnati, and we have kind of been expressing that every week. So we appreciate all the texters eight one seven four four two six seven eight nine who vote on that. You could also ask questions. Like this from Carlos, I still don't understand Alabama too. If their name wasn't Alabama, they wouldn't be ranked there, right? I mean, that that is – I don't even think it's necessary. Like if, if LSU or Ole Miss or somebody else in that division had the exact same record against the exact same schedule, I, I don't think it would do it. I don't think it's an SEC thing. We've talked about this a little bit. A lot of the stuff that we call SEC bias is just Bama groveling. Right. It's just is people throwing themselves at the feet of Bama no matter what. I do think the name matters. No, I, I think it most definitely does. And I think that, um, you know, for a lot of places, right, we've watched Texas A&M before the Bama game. We've watched Texas A&M after the Bama game. They looked really, really good against Missouri and South Carolina, two teams that absolutely suck. Like, I think that that game would be counted against them a lot more 
if their name wasn't Bama, right? I mean, it wasn't a good loss. I think that we all watched that game. It was not a good loss. They look like they didn't belong on a field with a team that really has not been a quality team all year long. And then we've mentioned the the wins, right? I mean, a good win over Ole Miss and, uh, and a perfectly okay win over Mississippi State that the committee wants to use, like we talk about, use those last five spots to really make their case and say, oh, well, Alabama beat a top 25 team, 49-9. Pretty impressive, don't you think? Obviously ignoring Every other thing that Mississippi State's done this year, which has not been a lot of impressive, but that's beside the point. Uh, no, I mean, I don't think that if it wasn't Alabama that we would think of it the same way. And that's because of brand. That's because of accomplishment. That's because they have the greatest head coach in the history of college football. That's because their offensive coordinator and offensive line coaches are both former NFL head coaches who groveled to, to have an opportunity to be an assistant at Alabama under Nick Saban. It's because of recruiting rankings. It's, it's all that stuff, right? I mean, they're the defending national champions. I get it. But we and and I kind of had this conversation with Cincinnati last week, right, where I feel like we're comparing Cincinnati to like the ghost of what a top four team usually is instead of comparing them to the who the top four teams actually are. And I feel like we're doing that with Bama the other direction where we're like, well, I mean, you know, they, they're a one loss team and uh, they've looked really good in the SEC and the SEC is always tough. Let's not look too closely at it. Uh, so they must be number two. I do. It feels like we're comparing. 2021 Cincinnati to 2020 Bama, while also giving 2021 Bama an edge because of 2020 Bama. So like Cincinnati gets screwed both ways by Alabama having a lot of good players last year. Listen, the recruiting rankings absolutely go into it. And it's one of those things, it's chicken or the egg. They win the recruiting ratings every year. So you assume, and then they also show it in the NFL draft. You assume they have the best players. And they sort of sort of show that they have the best players. And I do think when you're not sure who the best team is, when it gets chaotic, you lean on where you think the best players are. And so if there was another team, if Ed Orgeron was winning the recruiting battles every year, four, five, six years in a row, maybe LSU would get that same kind of thing, even if, if Coach O wasn't the greatest coach in college football history. Like I, I almost wish like recruiting ratings could be wiped from the brains of the committee, <laughs> right? Because yeah. I don't – because I think – I. And I think you can't view the games without it. But if you just watch the game and you say to yourself, man, Will Anderson is awesome. And if you just watch the game and say, man, Bryce Young for a freshman quarterback, that guy can sling it, great decisions. But you don't know that they're five stars, right? I just, there's a lingering five-star effect that I think seeps its way in. And a lot of texters are feeling that way. Carl, please explain Bama as a consensus number two. Eric is going worst case scenario on us. Is it possible a three-loss Alabama gets in? People are off the deep end now. <laughs> Even I'm not going that far. <laughs> yeah. Th- this I do think, Trey is on to this a little bit. Are they putting Michigan over Michigan State to justify putting Ohio State over Oregon later? We've had that discussion a little bit before, Shahan, that really the surprise necessarily is not Michigan over Michigan State. It's that Ohio State over Oregon hasn't happened yet. Alexander asks, why is head-to-head being honored every- everywhere except Oregon-Ohio State? Um, there can't be objective football people in the United States that actually think Oregon looks better right now than the Buckeyes, but yet the committee keeps putting Oregon above them and does whatever it wants everywhere else. I have zero doubt, Shahab, that if Ohio State beats Michigan State, no matter what happens with Oregon and Utah, well, I mean, Oregon would have to beat Utah, but even if Oregon <laughs> yeah. wins impressively, I think if Ohio State beats Michigan State, Ohio State's ahead of Oregon next week. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. And I mean, I, again, I'll, I'll go back to it. Ohio State does not have 
a particularly impressive victory this year, right? I mean, they played a Purdue team who's fine and looked awesome while doing it. I, I think that for me, I, I did not, you know, when I put together my CBS 130 belt, I didn't have Purdue in my top 25 heading into that game. I, I think that they are a team that can do some really specific things really well and are also not necessarily a great team. Uh, Michigan State is a pretty good team. Right. I mean, they, they are a legit sort of top. We'll see if they're a top 10 team, but I think that they're a legit a top 15 team. That's where I expect them to finish up. So if, uh, if Ohio State goes and beats them, and by the way, Michigan State's secondary, not very good. So, you know, I think that there's a pretty good chance that happens. You know, if that happens, I, I think that, that should be enough. Right. Cause I do think again, to go back to it, we hear so much about this Fresno State win for Oregon because it kind of justifies it, right? It's, oh, well, they have two quality wins and, and Ohio State has like half a quality win at this point. Even though again, we hear with Alabama kind of the flip side of, oh, but the metrics, the metrics love it. The, oh my gosh, the metrics. Have you seen the metrics? Uh, you know, and, and Ohio State is along with Georgia. That's the other team that the metrics loves. I, I think that this upcoming week is probably the differentiator. And again, Big Ten's going to work itself out. That's why I'm not too worked up about that one. That's why I'm honestly not that worked out uh, up about Michigan, Michigan State, because if one of these teams beats Ohio State and wins the Big Ten, it literally doesn't matter. I do think there's a really interesting point here uh, made by Chuck. To what extent are the fates of teams who have faced each other intertwined? And he mentions Ohio State, Oregon, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, and Michigan, Michigan State. That is, as long as both teams continue to win, the loss becomes a good loss because your only loss is to a really good team. Or you have a win over a really good team. I think in a world we've we've talked, we end up talking a lot about how head to head is getting overlooked in some cases. But I I actually think in a world where the schedules are so different, I still do think in a lot of ways, even if you have Ohio State ranked ahead of Oregon, they're still very connected. And I still think that beating Ohio State, Ohio State still being good, is very, very good for Oregon. And they remain connected, even whether Ohio State's one spot ahead of Oregon or one spot below. And I think that applies to Cincinnati, Notre Dame. And if Notre Dame had three losses right now, instead of instead of only to Cincinnati, I think Cincinnati's playoff case would be very hurt, right? And Michigan, Michigan State, they're both in the top 10 right now because they're lifting each other up. I do think the committee, and I think I agree with that, Shahan. When you're grasping at straws and finding any way to compare, I think it's hard to avoid linking teams that have played. Yeah, and I think it's especially true of any team that's not in either the Big Ten or SEC, right? Because the Big Ten and SEC have several ranked teams. Now, SEC West right now is perfectly mediocre, but, uh, you know, especially the Big Ten this year and maybe the SEC more in other years, right? Like. They're going to work themselves out. It doesn't really matter that much because there's going to be a lot of data points. Whereas with the Pac-12, you kind of have one major data point and then a couple of minor data points. So like because Oregon played Ohio State, I think that does bond them together in a lot of ways. Uh, because Oklahoma State played Baylor, right? I, I think that's going to help them out because Cincinnati played uh, Notre Dame and they don't necessarily have an amazing other uh, data point. I think that's going to tie them together. So I think the less sort of overall data points that we have, the more that that's going to happen. And because we have teams like Oregon and Cincinnati and Notre Dame in the mix right now, I think that that's going to be a big part of it. A lot of good questions from the texters. 817-442-6789 if you want to join that. It's a dollar a month. It's a two-week free trial. That's a dollar a month. And you get to ask a couple questions. We don't get to them every week. Sometimes, honestly, there have been a couple weeks, Shahan, I'm so angry. 
after the ranking show, I can't even see straight. <laughs> and I for I don't have time to get to the texture questions. I'm a little more subdued because stuff there wasn't anything wacky this or anything anything that was wacky had already been wacky. So nothing new to be angry about. I, I find something to be angry about most days <laughs> of most weeks. But I want to ask these two more questions and they're kind of related. Greg asks, is Notre Dame a sleeper for a playoff spot? They don't play a championship game and they bring the ratings. I assume Georgia beats Bama, Ohio State wins out, Oregon loses to Utah, and Oklahoma State is left out. So this is a related question to that because somebody is asking about who's number four. This is Abby. Assuming Georgia, Ohio State, and Cincinnati all win out, who is the most likely number four team if Oregon loses? And we're going to get to, after the break, we're going to get to what are the most likely losses the rest of the year for teams in the mix? So we'll get specific on this idea, but it's a very interesting question, Shahan, because now that Oklahoma's lost, but if Oregon does lose, it's not even Cincinnati, I, I do think is three then. But then to that Notre Dame question, I think it could come down to the one loss Big 12 champ versus one loss Notre Dame. And I'll tell you right now, Notre Dame's ahead of everybody in the Big 12, and there's such disrespect on the committee for Oklahoma. I don't know that Oklahoma State winning its remaining games and maybe even you know beating Oklahoma and then beating Baylor again or whatever, I don't know how that would look if Notre Dame runs the table. What And we haven't talked a lot about that, but that really, truly, it's an Oregon loss away from this becoming a very heated conversation, I think. I feel pretty confident that if Oklahoma State finishes with one loss that they'd get in over Notre Dame. Uh, you, you just look at their schedules, right? I mean, Notre Dame has a win over number 15 Wisconsin, which is a good win. But after that, it gets a little sparse. They play some pretty good teams, right? Like they play several top 50 maybe type teams. Uh, but Oklahoma State, again, in these last couple weeks of the season alone, is going to play against number 13 Oklahoma. And then they're going to either play number 13 Oklahoma again and have to beat them twice, which I think would be pretty impressive on its own. Or they get to play Baylor again, who they've already beaten and shown that they can beat. Uh, and, you know, Baylor's going to be, if they win out, right, they're probably going to be around 10. So that's that'll be another opportunity for a really good win. So if you have two wins over top 15 Baylor, or if you have two wins over, you know, maybe top 25-ish Oklahoma plus a win over Baylor, I think that that's more than Notre Dame can offer. Again, they, they clearly have the better loss, right, with the, with the loss coming to a playoff team. But it was pretty dominant, and it's not like they really have a whole lot else to hang their hat on. So I think that it would be Oklahoma State. Uh, the question for me is more, can Oklahoma State survive this? Because it, it's pretty tough to be able to go and beat two of the, you know, three best teams in the Big 12 in back-to-back -back weeks. And then I do think you maybe crack the door on. I would be very angry about two lost Bama over undefeated Cincinnati. If Bama plays Georgia tough, and now you're talking about two lost Bama versus a one lost Big 12 team you're not in love with, or if the Big 12 champ has two losses, or a Notre Dame one lost team that hasn't beaten anybody, I think that's how a two lost Bama is really in the picture. And it's funny to think about Notre Dame. They kind of have the worst of both worlds. They wound up playing Cincinnati in a year when Cincinnati has its best team ever. But when Notre Dame made its 2021 schedule, whenever they finalized this a couple of years ago, you would have looked at it and thought that Cincinnati would have been like the seventh best team on the schedule from what you thought they were supposed to be. Notre Dame's schedule this year is like a who's who of blue blood has-beens. 
They opened with Florida State and barely beat them. Florida State's no good. Wisconsin, which actually is turning out, I guess, to be an okay win. They were not at the time, though. Not at the time. Wisconsin has three losses. Virginia Tech, they only beat Virginia Tech by uh, three points. Virginia Tech just fired its coach. USC fired its coach. North Carolina was a preseason top 10, is five and five. And then Virginia, Georgia Tech, Stanford to end the year. I mean, it is, there's nobody in there. There's a lot of famous teams, but there's nobody good. So Cincinnati was good enough to beat Notre Dame, but nobody else that they thought was going to good was good enough to prop up Notre Dame. And it's interesting. This does matter. Garrett Wilson, one of the Ohio State receivers, was talking on Tuesday about the idea of once Ohio State lost to Oregon, he said, Ohio State was kind of like, come on, Big Ten, be good. We want the Big Ten to be good because we know we have to have a chance at some impressive wins. So Michigan State and Michigan are Ohio State's best friends right now because Ohio State hasn't beaten anybody yet, but they have a chance to end the season with two top 10 wins and then go play a top 15 team in the Big Ten championship game And nobody on Notre Dame's schedule is doing that favor for Notre Dame. If Notre Dame was finishing against two top 10 teams and Ohio State wasn't, and they had the Cincinnati loss and the Oregon loss, since Notre Dame could very well be positioned to win ahead, to win, uh, to finish ahead of Ohio State. And there's nothing that would tell you that Michigan State and Michigan should be ranked higher than USC and Florida State or Virginia Tech or North Carolina, or anybody, Notre Dame's schedule has let down the Irish, Shahan. <laughs> yeah, you would have, heading into this year, I mean, we we talked about USC and North Carolina, uh, and, and maybe Wisconsin, yes. maybe not Wisconsin, as, as potential playoff teams. Yes, no, all three of those, right on the edge of the playoff discussion. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that has worked out incredibly terribly, which is which is hilarious in its own right. But, but yeah, I mean, I do think, you know, if you're Notre Dame, right, like, it is to a certain extent too more that like they haven't looked awesome against uh, some of these, right? Cause we talk, we have this whole conversation about Cincinnati not looking awesome in three score wins, but like three points versus Virginia Tech, three points versus Florida State, three points versus Toledo, which is a game that gets forgotten about. Uh, you know, 10 points versus UNC. They look impressive against Virginia because Virginia is without by far their best player, Brennan Armstrong. Like it's, I just don't think that they have enough impressed performances either in those games. And then, like you mentioned, those teams haven't really held up there under the bargain. So I, I don't know. I mean, I do think, you know, it would be really interesting, like we mentioned, if it is a very tight two-loss Bama, you know, who loses on a last-second score against Georgia, who is the clear number one team, comparing that versus Notre Dame, right? Let's say that Oklahoma State loses a game and then it's versus Notre Dame. I, I feel like uh, I feel like Alabama might have an edge there, but, I mean, who knows? I, I don't really know what direction they'd go. If Oregon loses one of these last two regular season games, we have a big pod to do diving in on the race for number four. But we're going to come back and talk about the games that we think are most at risk for playoff contenders. And I'm going to tell you why I don't think Oregon losing is as likely as a lot of other people do. We'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Doug and Shahan, I looked through some of the schedule stuff. You know what? Uh, do you know this? You probably know this because you're a professional national college football writer. Do you know who's favored in the Oregon-Utah game on Saturday? I, I thought it was like a one-point spread, right? Like it was really close. 
I looked just now, and Oregon at Utah is getting three points. Wow. So the number three team in the country is a three-point underdog at the number 23 team in the country. And Utah right now is tied at the top of its division with Arizona State, but it beat Arizona State. And no, I think they have one, like one game lead on Arizona State, but even if they lose to Oregon, they beat Arizona State. It's almost certainly going to be Utah in the Pac-12 title game, which means almost certainly Oregon and Utah are going to have to play twice in three weeks. And Oregon's going to have to beat them both times. And that is sandwiched around an Oregon State rivalry game where Oregon State and Jonathan Smith, they have a pulse, man. They're like a real team. Yeah. So Oregon State beat Utah. Like it's so like this is this is three real games for Oregon. But it is also three opportunities. But they don't exactly need an opportunity because I think they're they're in. If they win out like so, so they could be playing Stony Brook three more times. And I think they'd be in if they win out. So they're not really looking to impress anybody. They're looking to survive. As we look at games that could trip people up. Do you think Utah is going to get it done and beat Oregon one of these two times and end, end Oregon's playoff hopes? Every year is different. Every team is different, of course. But in my mind, I can't look at an Oregon Utah matchup and not think about 2019. Utah was one of the best teams in the country. They were poised to potentially go to the college football playoff. It was going to be likely uh, the winner of the Pac-12 championship game if it was Utah was going to go. And if not, the winner of Baylor versus Oklahoma was going to go. And so that game went down to the wire and you kind of expect, okay, well, Utah's going to do that. And Oregon's defensive line with a freshman cave on Thibodeau just absolutely kicked the hell out of Utah, just destroyed them in every phase of the game. And I'm not saying that, you know, every, every year is different, right? This is not the same team as the 2019 team. Uh, I actually like their quarterback uh, a little better now, Cameron Rising. And, and the other thing to mention too, just when we talk about uh, Utah, they suffered two losses in their first three games against pretty good teams, BYU and San Diego State. Um, then they made a quarterback change and things have really turned around since then. So this is not the same team that lost two of its first three games, but I just, I don't know. I, I wish I felt better about the idea of Utah being able to hold their own on the offensive line, but I don't know how I feel about that. I think Oregon has reached the point. People think they're overrated because they've continued to be rated ahead of Ohio State. And is Oregon right now a better team than Ohio State? Probably not. Is Oregon realistically one of the four best teams in the country? I think that's quite possible. And you look at what they've done. Here's my little stat. And this is the question that I want to ask Gary Barta next week. And I and I hope I get it in. He mentioned it again this week. He has brought it up a couple times. We know there's a history of bringing up injured players. He said uh, Notre Dame's win over, West, over Virginia last week. We're aware of the fact that Virginia didn't have his quarterback, right? Gary Barta, how do you factor in the fact that in Oregon's loss, it did not have its offensive coordinator? Do you view that similarly to a team – that played without one of its star players? Because I think that is a relevant question. And they did not have Joe Moorhead for the Stanford loss. That was a medical emergency. And then for the Cal game, he called the game from the press box. He normally calls it from the sideline. But he was like on Zoom. He wasn't at practice during the week. He wasn't really there. And they beat Cal by a touchdown. And in both those games, they only scored 24 points. When Joe Moorhead is either not there or is compromised, Oregon averages 24 points a game. 
when Joe Moorhead is healthy and there, they average 36.7 points per game. And Utah has this 37th ranked defense in the country, according to the uh, Football Outsiders efficiency ratings. Washington State last week had the 22nd ranked defense. Oregon scored 38, and they won that game, I think, 38-24. They were ahead 38-17 in Washington State store with 10 seconds left. They won that game easily. I think they are coming around. Anthony Brown is still not going to sling it around the yard, but they are – there's a thing – a lot of times when we talk about balance in, in football, people want it to be run-pass balance. You can be balanced without it being run-pass if your run game itself is balanced. Last week, they Oregon threw for 135 and ran for 306. Anthony Brown, the quarterback, ran for 123. Travis Dye, their veteran running back, who took over when C.J. Verdell, their best guy, was knocked out for the year, ran 18 times for 88. And they have a true freshman, a top 200 recruit true freshman named Byron Cardwell, who's only started working in the last three weeks. He ran it nine times for 98 against Washington State. That is now their two-headed monster at tailback instead of Verdell and Die. It's Cardwell and Die. They are coming around. And I don't think they're going to lose. And I think Oregon's going to be in the playoff. And I don't think they're going to get in there and not belong. I think we have overdone it with the Oregon dismissal during the course of the year. And I think you should view Joe Moorhead's absence almost the same way you would view a team trying to play without one of its best players. Do you agree with that? And do you think I should ask Gary Barter that question next week? <laughs> I So I, I do think it's an interesting question. I will push back just a little bit on uh, on the, you know, whatever the, the Moorhead there versus not there uh, sort of deal. Because I will say, right, I mean, they scored 52 against Colorado. That, that skews the numbers a little bit. They scored 41 against Arizona, obviously with Joe Moorhead there. And you mentioned they, they play well against Washington State. You, you do mention they scored at the end. Uh, Oregon also scored with like three minutes left. So it was, it was legitimately a 14 point game that Washington State had the opportunity to come back and, and compete in. They scored 26 against Washington. Washington's fired their coach since then. It's Washington's defense 15th ranked in the nation. Yeah. yeah no, it, it's a good unit, but I mean, so, you know, it's kind of been like, okay, when, when they have teams that can compete with them physically, cause actually that's the thing that I'll point to with uh, Utah on the defensive line. Now, this is not the best Utah defense. It's a pretty good Utah defense. They're pretty physical, but it's kind of been, okay, is this a team that can compete with us physically or is this a team that we can run over? Right. And Washington state is not a team that can compete physically with them. So they can run them over. Uh, Colorado is a team that could not compete with them physically. They ran them over. Washington can compete with them physically. Cal, you know, is a very good defensive team, uh, you know, and they can compete a little better physically Stanford. I mean, you know, all the factors that go into that, um, you know, and, and the funny thing is, right. I mean, Ohio state didn't really compete with them physically to be quite honest uh, when, when it came to uh, on defense right I mean they didn't and so and Fresno State did and and kind of gave them some problems so I, I get it I I know what you're saying but I think that this game is less going to be decided by Joe Moorhead being there and it's going to be more decided by can Utah have sort of a signature Utah defensive line performance because over the last two weeks Anthony Brown threw for 98 yards against Washington and 135 uh, against Washington State. That's not beating anybody of, of note, right? And and again, you mentioned both Washington schools, pretty good defensively. Pretty good defensively is not the same thing as the top 10 teams in the country defensively, right? I mean, it's not the same thing. And so that's my concern with Oregon still is that 
it's really cool to be able to to have some explosive players and and they are explosive. Uh, you know, they, they are explosive in the run game. I mean, their last two touchdowns were both uh, more than 20 yards where they kind of were able to put it away because of that. But when they have a team that they can't bully up front, which I don't know if Utah is that team, I definitely don't think Oregon State is that team, but when they have those teams, can they actually compete? So that's something worth watching, right? I mean, that that is a big deal because that opens the door for a lot of other teams if Oregon does lose one of these final three games. Two other games this weekend I want us to break down a little bit. Michigan State, number seven at number four, Ohio State. Ohio State's favored by 19 at home. I'm curious about what Ohio State does against Kenneth Walker III, one of the better running backs in the country. They have not faced a good running game since the first two weeks. They faced Minnesota and Mohamed Ibrahim, who was a really good back, who actually got hurt in that game, but was getting some yards before he got hurt. And then C.J. Fordell ran for 170 against Ohio State. And so on one hand, yes, it is a new defense. They changed the defensive coordinator. They are, they're playing different guys, but they also have not faced anybody who can run the ball. They face teams who chuck it around. Purdue chucks it around. Tulsa chucks it around. Maryland tried to chuck it around. Penn State had no running game, and everybody knew it. Purdue had no running game, and everybody knew it. So they have not been asked to stop the run, and I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not sure their linebackers are great. I don't know about their tackling 100%. And if Kenneth Walker III, who I think has been good most of the year and maybe slightly overrated and was awesome against Michigan, if he rises to the challenge in Columbus – and Mel Tucker, a former Ohio State assistant, is going to have Michigan State jack for this game. I'm very curious to see what the Ohio State defense does against that. But Michigan State's pass defense is not very good, and Ohio State might throw it all over the yard. So I think Ohio State wins that, but I think it's possible Michigan State moves the ball and tries to control the clock. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. The the Purdue teams that have bothered Ohio State – there was a lot of talk, like Ohio State had only been 5-4 and four in their last nine against Purdue going into last week. But last week's Purdue team and situation did not mirror the times when Ohio State lost to Purdue. This does. This is kind of like 2013 Michigan State with Mark D'Antonio that beat Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. This is kind of like 2015 Michigan State that came in and beat the defending national champs in Columbus in 2015. There are some similarities there. And Tucker, I do think, is kind of a hard-nosed guy like D'Antonio. I think it's interesting. I think Ohio State wins. I think it's interesting. SMU-Cincinnati. Cincinnati's favored by 11.5. You've been talking about SMU during the course of this season. Is this a game that SMU can win? Can? Maybe. The thing that I'll say, though, is that I think it's a very poor matchup for SMU. Uh, we, we saw them play last year. Cincinnati played against SMU and SMU lost 42 to 13. And I've watched a lot of SMU games. I mean, obviously, before moving over to CBS, I, I worked for Dave Campbell's Texas football. So I was at a lot of SMU games. I watched basically all their games over the past three years. I have not seen them get their but absolutely kicked like that ever. It just hasn't happened, right? Since Sonny Dykes has taken over as head coach after the first year, I'll say. I mean, they played like Michigan the first year, whatever. But, um, but that it was just total decimation. They've lost some shootouts and stuff like that, but that was the first team that was ever able to say, Hey, SME, you might have like a top 10 receiver room in the entire country. We don't care. We don't care. We'll man them up. No problem. We got the two, be- again, the best cornerback duo in the entire country and Kobe Bryant and Ahmad Gardner, two guys who are going to play in the NFL. I'm worried. Now, the thing that I'll say about SMU this year that I couldn't say last year is that they do have a good run game. They have more guys this year. Uh, they were kind of down to one guy for a lot of last year. 
I still don't know if I think that they can compete, especially in the past game against Cincinnati. So I, I think that it's more of a matchup issue than anything else, but there's a path for, for SB to win. I mean, their receivers, again, are awesome. They, they have really, really, really good receivers. The best receiver room in the group of five by my money for sure, and really better than almost every power five receiver room too. Um, but, but again, I mean, Ahmad Gardner has not given up a touchdown in his entire career, and he's played three seasons at Cincinnati. I don't think that's going to change this week. So I, I think it'll be a good opportunity for Cincinnati to prove what it can do against a really good offense. And the other thing, too, is that I mentioned at the top of the show, this is a an SMU team that's going to keep pushing at least. And so I will be interested to see with Cincinnati, you know, they're not going to be able to just sit on this game. Are they going to kind of keep pushing as well? Those are the most interesting games this week. Michigan State, Ohio State, SMU, Cincinnati, Arkansas at Bama. Again, Arkansas is ranked. Bama's favored by 20 and a half. We've seen Arkansas play tough, beat some good teams. Like, is there any, any scenario, like, grind it out? Sam Pittman has some genius plan. Like, do you see any crack? Arkansas could exploit against Alabama on Saturday. The thing that concerns me is that I watched the Arkansas-Georgia game and Georgia was just like, oh, you want to be physical against us? Cool. We're down for that. And, you know, it ended up being a 37-0 ball game. And Alabama's not going to do that. They're not that physical. But I feel like they're closer to that physical than, like, Ole Miss, who play, you know, who beat them 52-51. So that's my concern. If if Arkansas is able to compete up front, then I think this becomes an interesting ball game because, you know, KJ Jefferson's more of kind of a situational type guy. He's not necessarily a guy who's going to drop back and launch it all over the field necessarily, but, you know, they've got a great running back. They've got a great wide receiver, uh, a guy who's going to be a first or second round NFL draft pick. But uh, that's my concern. And based off of what I saw against LSU last week when they won 16 13 in overtime, I'm a little concerned that maybe, uh, maybe they're a little physical doubts. No, I, I think I think that could be true. That that is a long slog for a team that has overachieved. But to try to get Bama like at this point of the season and do something about it with the schedule that that those guys have played uh, is is really asking a lot. I'm, I'm a little curious. The only other one I'm I'm slightly curious about. Michigan is at Maryland. I mean, if you believe in trap games, and I think I saw a story this week talking about how trap games are false. I'm going to grab that and maybe talk about (laughs) it next week because I hate talking about trap games. Maryland has lost five of its last six. The only game at one was against Indiana, and Indiana is falling apart. Michigan is a 15-point favorite on the road. I mean, that would be a huge failure of Jim Harbaugh if they get caught looking ahead to Ohio State and blow that one. So I don't think that's going to happen. And then we get to the last week of the regular season. Ohio State-Michigan is clearly going to be huge. That might be almost a playoff playing game. If both Ohio State and Michigan win this week, that's what that is because the winner of that game would win the East and then go on to face Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game if they win their end. So that would be a huge game. And then Oklahoma-Oklahoma State is the other one that like you're positioning yourself to try to take advantage if Oregon does lose. We'll talk about those games more next week, but what is your two-week-out read on Oklahoma, Oklahoma State right now. Baylor was clearly a better team than Oklahoma. Is Oklahoma State also clearly a better team? Yeah, I think they are. And I think the other thing, too, is that Oklahoma's defense is even better than what Baylor's is. Now, Baylor does some things that I think 
gives uh, Oklahoma issues. I mean, we saw this last year too. I mean, before this week when they allowed 260 yards against Oklahoma, last year they allowed 269, which was the least of the Lincoln Riley era. But this Oklahoma State defense is so complete. Uh, you know, their safety play is amazing. Malcolm Rodriguez is maybe the most underrated defensive player in the country. Uh, and their defensive line is just solid top to bottom. So I, I think that they're going to be able to adjust. I think they're going to be able to attack. I'll be really curious to see what Lincoln Riley kind of comes up with because, I mean, I think a lot of the defensive planning is going to look very similar to what Baylor did. Um, you know, and, and offensively, Oklahoma State's really come along the, the past couple of weeks. Uh, they're, they're really leaning on their run game, and Oklahoma did not defend the run very well against Baylor. Uh, and, and I think Baylor's offense is better than Oklahoma State's offense, but it's a very similar matchup to me of what Baylor just did. Uh, maybe a few less explosive offensive playmakers, but even more guys on defense. If you had to pick your playoff right now, and I'm going to tell you where our texters are right now, you are allowed to pass if you want to. But I do think a lot of times you end up waiting for chaos. And every now and then, as chaotic as this year has been so far, I think it's possible we don't get any chaos down the stretch. And I do think if I had to pick my playoff right now, I think I would pick Georgia, Ohio State, Cincinnati, and Oregon. Because I think all those teams are going to win out. And if that happens, I think the way things have shaped up, I think it's a pretty easy decision for the committee. Where are you if you're willing to venture there. I think that you're on the right track. I still think that Oregon probably loses a game. I mean, they just have not looked like a playoff caliber team really at all this season outside of that one game. And so I do think that they end up dropping at least one of those games against Utah. Uh, and so I, I have the other teams winning out. I think that Ohio State, uh, just matchup-wise, I mean, again, Michigan State is the worst pass defense in college football, and you're going to try that against Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, Cool. Good luck with that. Uh, and then, you know, similar deal with Michigan where it's just they want to run the ball. They want to hold on to the ball. Well, guess what? Like Ohio State can score in one play. I, I just don't think that that works. Uh, Cincinnati, again, similar sort of deal. I think that the matchup with, uh, with SMU is a really good matchup. Cincinnati, I mean, uh, sorry, Houston is really interesting. Uh, they're really good defensively. They, they are very dynamic up front. I don't think that they're ready to compete with a team like Cincinnati quite as yet. I think that uh, that Ahmad Gardner could take away their star receiver, uh, Nathaniel Dell. And so I, I think that they can finish the season 13 and 0 again. So I think I'm, I, this is my fatalistic, right? Thought because I, I just feel like this is how life works. I feel like, you know, hey, you know, nothing matters, eat at Arby's, all that sort of stuff. I, I think that Bama is going to be fourth. I think that they find a way to get in because. They just do, man. They they just do. And then it sets up a thing we talked about on this podcast before, which is Ohio against the SEC. <laughs> yeah. They would have to jerry-rig the rankings in that situation. You can't have Georgia-Alabama play. Even though Alabama would deserve to be number four, I think they'd rig it. Wouldn't they rig it? And they'd say Cincinnati's four because – and you'd have Bama-Cincinnati – I know you'd have Georgia, Cincinnati, and Bam, Ohio State as your two semifinals in that situation. Which would absolutely suck, by the way, because I think that Cincinnati can beat either of those other two teams, but they're gonna get, get they're gonna get handed to this team that can flatten literally every team in the country, and people will be like, "Well, uh, you know, Cincinnati really couldn't hang with a real playoff team." I mean, come on, what, you, you want to put teams like that in heading for? And it's like, yeah, they're Bama. I mean, sorry, they're Georgia. I'm used to it being Bama. Uh, Yes, uh, it's Georgia. Yeah, guess what? 
they're also going to flatten most likely the team that they played next. It doesn't mean that they're going to be guaranteed to win, but they're going to flatten them physically. Uh, so, so I really hope that it, it does not work out that way where we have Cincinnati coming at four to get sacrificed to Georgia in a year where everybody's going to get sacrificed to Georgia. But I mean, at the same time, it feels kind of inevitable that that would happen, right? Then root for Oregon because I think if that's <laughs> what happens, then I think you get Georgia, Oregon because nobody wants Ohio State, Oregon again. They get Jerry Riggett, and then you get Ohio State, Cincinnati in a playoff game. And that would be awesome. I, I think that that would actually be a really, really good football game. <laughs> that would be cra- it'd be crazy good. And then that would guarantee a Midwest team in the national championship game, which is being held in Indianapolis this year. So that would be it would be very interesting. We asked our texters rank these teams by their likelihood of actually making the playoff. Georgia one clearly, Ohio State two clearly, then Bama, Oregon, Cincinnati, all bunched. But our texters. Think Bama, kind of like you're thinking. Think Bama still has a very good shot to get in. Bama three, Oregon four, Cincinnati five, then a drop to Michigan at six, Michigan State at seven, then Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. So I, I, you know, I think you've got to have a Big 12 team higher in there because you've got to figure out, like, if you think, unless you think Michigan State or Michigan is going to beat Ohio State, which you certainly could think that, but then, like, they're not getting in. But there's a scenario where the Big 12 champ, pick your Big 12 champ, and they at least have a path. So that's where people are. There's still a lot of people sort of where you are, Shahan, thinking there's stuff that could just work out that Bama <laughs> somehow. I've seen this movie before. <laughs> Who's going to be that team, right, that 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 in a chaotic year, there's only three clear teams. Well, who barely gets – who do you think barely gets in? I don't know. The mini dynasty coached by the greatest coach ever. That's the defending <laughs> national champion. Of course they'd get the benefit of the doubt. So – we could be on track for that. All right. That was a good one. A lot of stuff to talk about. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, the Tuesday pods there for subscribers. You're paying 79 cents an episode. You go to Apple Podcasts. You sign up just like you buy a song. You can buy our podcast and you get three bucks a month to see what you think. We appreciate you guys doing it again. And now it's now the College Football Survivor Show. So we're changing our Twitter handle a little bit. We're changing our logo a little bit to get that survivor word in there instead of playoff. But you know what it's about. We're talking about who survives to reach the college football playoff. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.